Welcome to We Grow California with your hosts, Darcy Villery and Darcy Burke, a safe place where we discuss water, agriculture, and everything that makes California grow. We have guests from those who just drink water to those that make water policy, all passionate about the water issues that face all Californians today. Join the conversation by liking, subscribing, and visiting our website, wegrowcalifornia.com. Let's get the conversation started. Welcome in, everyone. Darcy and I are very happy to have you at our We Grow California podcast. And Darcy, I am very excited today because you have heard me say many times that a true environmentalist, in my opinion, is someone that does something about the problem, that takes the money, takes some investment, and actually goes to address and fix the problem. So some of the groups that are out there, and I shall not name them by name, actually, you know, stop projects, stop growth stop other people's solutions for their own betterment. But we are very fortunate today to have Julie Rentner, president of River Partners, a nonprofit that restores rivers through farm management. Talk about some of the projects that you've done and really how you are part of the solution, Julie, and your organization. Now, I just gave the long line for River Partners, but can you expand just a little bit on how River Partners was founded and why? Absolutely. And it's such a pleasure to be with you. And thanks for the invitation and taking the time to visit on really important topics around conservation in the rural parts of our state, which is so important. Um, River Partners is a 501c3 not-for-profit, and our organization was founded in 1998, so 25 years ago, um, to help deliver on conservation outcomes largely on the Sacramento River. Um, our, our founders are both farmers um, from the Sacramento Valley. Uh, John and Barney founded the organization just feeling like with what knowledge they had about how you can, how farmers are so connected to growing, connected to water and soil and plants, that they could apply farming techniques to ecological restoration in ways that our kind of academic friends who had been thinking about river restoration were struggling to do at scale. And so um, their, you know, their big contribution or innovation was, hey, let's use tractors instead of wheelbarrows. Let's use big irrigation systems instead of trying to run little tiny drip tubes to every little plant that you're trying to grow. You know, let's really scale this up. Um, you know, California once had hundreds of thousands of acres of riverside forests across the bottom of the of the Central Valley. And most of them have been lost. About 95% of them have been lost. And what comes along with that is um, conflict for people around endangered species issues, water demand issues, you know, all kinds of things that really make it difficult to run businesses and communities, right? So, so finding a way that we can do ecological restoration that makes sense in the bottom of the valley and do it at a scale that matters, that was their big, you know, their big push. So in back then in 1998, River Partners was called Sacramento River Partners because they didn't think we were going to be moving much away from the Sacramento River. Well, within just a couple of years, we were getting calls from folks in the San Joaquin Valley saying um, there's actually some big acreage here that we need to start doing some ecological restoration on. Would you would you think about coming down? In 2001, we opened our office in Modesto and changed our name. So now we're River Partners. <laughs> uh, since, since then, we, we, we've opened offices in a number of other places across mainly the Central Valley, but also in Southern California and San Diego to work in more than 20 different watersheds across the state um, using this approach where um, the, the design 
of restoration projects that benefit the river and benefit wildlife is done by consensus in communities, local communities. Um, and so it's broadly supported. And then the delivery of the restoration projects, the folks actually planting trees and moving dirt and applying water to the landscape are people who live nearby, who farm nearby, who use the exact same techniques to establish almond trees or walnut trees as they do cottonwoods and willows along the river. That's exciting. Yeah, it's very exciting. I love the presentation that you gave at the Ag One Leadership Foundation. Uh, that's what at the at the Delta Party Barn. That's where I, we met, and I, I saw you give that talk after Canon. I just have to say this: I was so fortunate to get to go through California Ag Leadership Class Forty Four, and you know, I've always loved and appreciated Ag in the Central Valley. But after meeting a bunch of those Ag leaders and that whole alumnus network of the leadership program, holy moly, the appreciation, my my depth of appreciation for farming in the Central Valley just took a whole new level. So. <laughs> So I'm going to jump in here for a minute, Julie, because we actually have a lot of urban and suburban listeners and as far away of engineers now in Chicago. Ag leadership in California is huge. And if you met any graduate alum from that program, they always talk about the number. I'm 12, I'm 40, I'm 42, I'm 44, I'm 50. It's not the year that they are, it's the class that they are. And so Julie being a part of that great organization, they do great work. They really grow the ag leaders of tomorrow. I can't say enough nice things about it. And many, many, many of my friends have gone through the program. And I'm always impressed with how it not only changes them, but changes their leadership style and their ability to collaborate well. So, And for those that heard Darcy's comments before, he was referring to Ken and Michael from Bowles Farm. We forget sometimes that not everybody is from the Central Valley. Yeah, it's a sorry. very tight-knit group of people. That's okay. That's why I'm here. I have a purpose, Darcy. Um, to remind people that, you know, we're all connected. And in ag leadership, it's a great way to connect pretty much anybody that cares about their community, that cares about ag, that cares about water. So that's my little plug for ag leadership. But I just wanted to let our listeners know what you were referring to, Julie. So perfect. go ahead. <laughs> and I had uh, a question for you because we were, as I was reviewing uh, the River Partners website and things, I was kind of found something I thought was kind of interesting that in the 2021 annual impact report, I read that how even in a drought year, you were reintroducing Chinook salmon to Sacramento River, right? Am I read that right? And so I think you can talk to everybody a little bit about that because that that was kind of a surprise to me. I think it's it's a great thing, but it's also in a year like that, you're able to do it. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the bigger questions about how do we deal with regulatory conflict in the Central Valley, right? We have these uh, threatened and endangered runs of Chinook salmon um, that, you know, frankly need water in the rivers in order to survive. And they need pulse flows at, at exactly the right time when they're transiting from the ocean all the way up to just below the dams where they spawn. And then again, they need pulse flows when they're transiting, you know, when little tiny salmon are coming out of those reds and flushing back down through the river channels, 150, 200 miles down to the Delta and, and to the Golden Gate. And that water is incredibly precious to everybody, isn't it? And when we're in a drought, that pressure on ecological restoration, on farmers, on communities who need drinking water, it gets so intense and it gets it can get really, really ugly some years. Um, the other thing that drought does, though, is it brings everybody together looking for solutions. And that's the part that I love is, OK, we're in a really hard time <laughs> trying to make do with scarcity. What what kinds of things can bring, we all bring to the table around solutions? So <clears throat> in in salmon recovery world and particularly in the Sacramento River, 
Um, we have a few portions of the river, you know, we're talking about not mm -hmm. insignificant miles long um, edges of riverbank and thousands of acres of floodplains that have been disconnected from the river. And um, what we've been learning through some really great science done at UC Davis um, and other places is that one of the major limitations for salmon population survival in the Sacramento River and likely in the San Joaquin as well is access to feeding areas. So when those baby salmon are swimming out, it's not enough to just kind of flush them with water out to the ocean and hope they survive. If they move too quickly out to sea, when they hit the ocean, they're too small and they, or even the Delta, they're too small and they just get eaten by other, other fish. Like striper bass. Yeah. We talk about striped bass all the time. <laughs> we talk about it all the time. Julie, we've, we've not had the opportunity to chat before today that you joined our podcast, but you know, there's so many complexities of the Delta subsidence habitat is, is gone. You have invasive species, you have um, food chain for those endangered species at risk for a variety of things. You have water quality. So I, I really appreciate your comment where it's not just flush the, the delta with water because that doesn't work. So to me, what I hear you saying is habitat restoration when you're looking at those feeding areas. For, if, if I'm, if I'm cor incorrect, you know, jump in here. But, you know, really having that tule marsh or whatever where they can hide, they can be safe, they can eat, they can get bigger, they can get fatter, and they can, they can swim better. That's exactly right. And there are some pretty simple things we can do to create floodplain rearing habitat that doesn't actually require a whole lot of water. So we were able to, on the Sacramento River, on a property that we we purchased a number of years ago, um, we were able to design and install, and I mean, it took a long time to get the permits. I won't lie, it was hard, but <laughs> we were able to design and install a, a gate structure. And so the way this project works, it's a couple hundred acres of floodplain that gets that that gets wet pretty regularly when the Sacramento River gets just a little bit high in the wintertime. And we learned early on that that water that gets up onto that floodplain actually is rich with baby fish. There's like a whole bunch of salmon swimming around in it, I guess preferentially so, because when they're so small, they can't control where they are in the water. They they find you find them mostly at the edges of river flow. So so when rivers overbank, there's a lot of fish in there. Anyways, um, this this property that we owned, it didn't drain back out to the river effectively. So it's basically like a fish trap. Um, the agencies, the fish agencies wanted us to just cut kind of a notch in the in the edge of the river bank and just let the whole thing drain off quickly. But recent research shows that water has to sit on the floodplain for a couple of weeks, couple, three weeks before it's rich enough in little bugs, little aquatic bugs for there to be enough food to benefit fish. So what we did on that project that that was installed just last year is um, we installed a gate structure that allows for volitional passage of fish onto and off of the floodplain from the river. But then it also slows down the drainage of that water that sometimes gets up on the floodplain so that it can stick around long enough to make food in the water. Right. That water food either gets eaten by the little baby fish that make it onto the floodplain or it flushes out to the river where fish who are in the river channel itself can eat it. Can and I ask you a question? Wait, you just, because you said notch. Is that something you, did you do that with DW? Because DWR posted on Instagram something about that. Something like, like you said, a notch for exactly what you're talking about a few months ago. Was that your property? No, no. You, I think you're probably okay. about the Fremont Weir, the big notch. Okay, I think maybe that's the one I'm thinking of. But that is very similar to what you're talking about, right? It's a bigger, it's a bigger <laughs> notch. Okay. <laughs> 
The um, yeah, the Fremont Weir Notch is on the Yellow Bypass, and oh, what it does yeah. lets a small amount of water in, into the Yellow Bypass to benefit fish um, when we're not in in flood. And so that's another one of these, just like the project I'm talking about, which we call Willow Bend, and it's a project that is activated even in below normal water years. Um, and you can make the habitat quality for fish so much higher. Not only is it fish aren't getting trapped anymore, but also there's more food production happening out there than ever was before. Um, the the big notch in the Fremont Weir does something similar at a really big scale where it lets um, flows from the Sacramento River out into the Yolo Bypass uh, more frequently. And portions of the Yolo Bypass can be wet uh, more often and sometimes for longer, which benefits all of the fish that are moving through the system as well. In the same way, making food for the fish to eat. Um, uh, we're loving that that this fish benefit can happen not just in big water years like the one we're in right now with big storms have come through, um, but in those average and below average water years as well. Sometimes we get to such a hard, hard line in the drought that temperatures exceed lethal limits in the river, or there just simply isn't enough flow to make anything besides the primary channel of the river wet. It's important to note that salmon are a are a resilient species. They're opportunistic about where they live and their uh, populations are designed to boom and bust. That you know, one individual salmon will make hundreds of thousands of eggs. <laughs> um, and and one, you know, life life cycle, a kind of of anadromy is about three years long, right? It's going to be about three years between the time that egg hatches to the time an adult is returning to spawn in the same area. And so if you think about, you know, the natural history and the natural hydrologic cycles of California, we the, these fish are adapted to getting through drought periods and getting through flood cycles as well. So we know that, you know, some years are going to be hard and there's a lot of challenge, especially with um, some of those races being listed on the Endangered Species Act. There's a lot of challenges with water management decisions we make, tracing back to damages to the populations. But um, on the whole, when you think about recovery, you have to realize that there's you know, in, in that species life cycle and ecosystem, there are droughts and there are floods just like we experience today. Yeah. It's called life, Julie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, just because you're a species that you've been put on a list doesn't make you special. We all have to adapt and change. And I think the the greater blueprint of that who was greater than I that came up with how a species adapts and survives, you know, there wasn't always sunny and happy rainy days, right? There was some some hardship in that. You know, but you mentioned that we're speaking right now, it's January 2023, that we are in a in a phenomenal water year. You know, our snowpack levels are what you would expect on April 1st, uh, no fool in, intended. Uh, what does a year like this look like for River Partners versus what you were dealing with last year in terms of farming and how you manage the land and maybe even some of your restoration projects? Yeah, it's honestly, it's actually bittersweet because so, you know, every piece of land that River Partners works on is underwater right now. <laughs> Two months ago, we had big plans about all of the good things we were going to be doing, moving dirt, moving berms, planting trees, vaccinating bunnies, you know, the works. And uh, here here we are, high water, celebrating the water. It's such a relief for everybody. Um, and, you know, carefully watching our floodplain projects to make sure they're working as designed, um, but we really can't get a whole lot of work done right now, which is a bummer for our organization being so action-oriented. Um, we're pleased to report that through the big storms that walloped California, I guess nine atmospheric rivers in a row, right? These big storms. Um, 
through all of those storm events, um, as we carefully watched our floodplain restoration projects flood up and draw down and flood up again, uh, we have yet to find one that really suffered anything that we would call damages. It's all been rejuvenating high water that helps stimulate good production of food and trees and vegetation, um, helping our rivers come back to life. So really excited about what's been going on so far. Our hearts go out to the folks who have suffered damages, and there's a number of communities pretty close to our project sites that we've been working closely with the people who are there through near evacuation orders and tracking river levels and comparing notes almost on an hourly basis about what's happening out there and what folks are concerned about. Julie, I think it's interesting because we've been talking a lot about the river restoration, but we haven't gotten into the farming part. And as a farmer, it's it's odd to hear someone who's in farming get excited about their field flooding. So <laughs> so in that right. sense, if you want to talk a little bit about the the farming side of it that you end up doing, and like for you, this is this is just part of the business model of the nonprofit and the next, like you do that and then switch back to what do you do when the water recedes, you know? Yep. Yep. I know, you know, so many farmers in the central Valley uh, describe their work as gambling. It's true. You know, you Julie, I always say it's a fine line between a farmer and a gambler. <laughs> and that needle I think they're back both. and forth Maybe all the time. And diagram. Yeah. Oh man. That is true. That's perfect. <laughs> yeah. Venn diagram. <laughs> So, um, you know, there's, there's, there is definitely an element of uh, you, you have to plan for, for years that aren't going to be very productive. Um, and we're still holding out hope, guys. I mean, it's only January. And if the, sometimes in some parts of the valley, we've seen the water stay high well into the spring months, well into May. And that is really hard to bounce back from. It's basically a complete loss. We're still hopeful, and as we're watching the way our water managers are managing reservoirs, we're still hopeful that this water is probably going to come down sooner than that, and it won't be um, as challenging. Uh, what we're losing right now is, you know, a lot of the floodplains in the San Joaquin Valley, um, the ones that we farm, are used to make food for the dairy industry, right? So winter wheat would be what folks are doing right now and some alfalfa. So we're seeing some damages to alfalfa. It doesn't like to stay wet this long, but, um, you know, we're hopeful though that it won't be too bad. And then um, what we're seeing is that, uh, you know, uh, uh, any... Uh, production off of winter wheat is probably not going to not going to happen this year. That's OK. We'll yeah, go I was into say that's probably a, if it's flooded, it's not good for winter wheat. Yeah, yeah it's probably done. But but we'll, we'll go into corn as soon as we can. Um, some of the fields um, that we farm, um, particularly like in the south south delta or just south of the legal delta, um, have some salt issues. So when the water comes up like this, it actually can um, depending on where you're situated relative to the levees, it can actually accumulate salts at the surface that we'll then have to irrigate back down before we plant corn. Um, so that's kind of challenging. It's added expense, but, you know, I think it's all par for the course when you're farming in the valley to deal with high water and, and drought at the same time. A absolutely. And Darcy, I know we only got a few minutes left. Do you, yep. I was going to say, I was going to pick up the questions we have. I was going to say, I know when we, when we met at the party at the Delta party barn as an advertisement for them, check them out. That's where located in Las Banas, California, beautiful Las Banas, California. Um, you meant, I believe that day you even got the, uh, secured funding for your new project. It was at the, was it $40 million for a new whole new big thing? You were very excited. I don't know if you remember, but you're very excited about it. You want to tell us about that? Sure. Yeah. In the in the end of last year, um, Governor Newsom signed a, a California state budget that has an allocation of $40 million in it for 
um, floodplain reconnection restoration projects, similar to the ones that River Partners has been delivering all over the Central Valley for 25 years. And the that specific allocation is dedicated to projects that help to reduce water surface elevation, so improve flood conditions for communities near the river, um, while also letting that flood water spread out and sink into floodplains that are particularly that are that are associated with overdrafted basins. So it's this one-two punch of taking the the nuisance flood water that's going to threaten a, a community or some infrastructure and spread it out and let it sink in. Um, you know, California went into a um, belt tightening mode <laughs> as the the uh, state uh, financiers kind of. Uh, anticipate that we're going to have a budget deficit for for 2022. So we're in you know current negotiations with the administration right now to make sure that we can hang on to that 40 million dollars and use it in the places that need it the most. One of the heartbreaking uh, bits of that belt tightening and the continued negotiations over that investment is seeing what happened in Merced and Bear Creek in just the last couple of weeks and knowing that a couple of the projects could have could help to alleviate some of the pressure in the Merced streams that overbank and cause damage like that. So we're working hard to keep it, but in this belt tightening mode, I mean, everybody feels the same pressure. Um, the, the state is is challenged to continue funding at that level. So we're working on it. We're hopeful we'll be able to keep it moving forward. Well, I know, Julia, I sit on a water board here in Southern California, and we had a, a project that luckily wasn't tightened. I think we got our money before it actually dissipated. It, I thought it was interesting that we went from, you know, this amazing surplus to the exact same amount as a deficit. So I thought that was interesting accounting. I think that that's where I will leave it at that. Are there any final thoughts you'd like to share, Julie, with um, our audience uh, before we have to have to go? Uh, I just wanted to share this little bit of hope and, and uh, you know, a little bit of sunshine here, which is that um, we've been so incredibly encouraged at River Partners in this, you know, zone of taking action to improve wildlife populations across the valley. Is so encouraged at how many partners there are in the ag and the water management communities that, you know, for listeners who don't necessarily know what it's like on the ground or are listening to just kind of like the national coverage of horrible conflicts coming out of the Central Valley, I got to say, there is so much action being taken on the ground in alignment and collaboration that keeps our agricultural economy pumping and keeps our communities safe and keeps our wildlife populations rebounding. I'm incredibly hopeful for the future and what we can do to keep all of it moving forward together. Well, as someone that's very cynical about in environmental efforts, sometimes I don't always think that sometimes they are. Sometimes, Darcy. <laughs> I, we're, I, we're you are one of the very few spectrums. She and I are sometimes on the opposite end of that one. <laughs> That's true. I, I, you are one of the rare exceptions that I've seen that actually has taken the investment we, as taxpayers, have provided through these budget allocations and invested in the solution. And so thank you, Julie, from all of us that are extremely skeptical. <laughs> thank you, Darcy. Um, because this is the things we want to talk about. There are good good stories out there, and River Partners is one of them. If you're interested in learning more about River Partners, you can please visit their website, riverpartners.org. We appreciate you joining us today, Julie, and thank you all for listening. Darcy, any last words? No, thanks for coming on, Julie. I hope to see you again sometime soon. Well, thank you guys so much. Thank you, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to a We Grow California podcast. If you have a question you'd like us to answer or would be interested in being a guest, please check out our website, wegrowcalifornia.com. 
sound and audio engineering provided by postandjam.com.